if you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to turn to John chapter 11 tonight. We've been going through a passage or a book of the Bible, John, over the last six weeks, just talking about the signs that, that Jesus has done. Now, he did a lot of signs, and Scripture tells us that there were a lot of signs that were done that weren't even recorded in Scripture. But these are seven major signs. Um, we've talked about why these were done the way were done, they were done. There's a couple things about John that I love. One is John does a great job in his gospel of describing why things happen the way they happen. The other thing about John is when he lays these signs out, they clearly point to Christ. They point somewhere. If we go to islanders or pirates or church of the island, how do we know that we're there? Because there's a sign that tells us we're there. We don't have to go inside and, hey, where am I? Likewise, we know Jesus' activity by the signs that were done by him to draw people to him. And it started with his disciples. This is a long passage of scripture, even though it's got the shortest one in the first verse that many of us have ever memorized. This is a story of Lazarus. And when you think of that, I memorized scripture. Jesus wept. <laughs> one of the shortest verses is also one of the most powerful and theological. And we're going to take that apart tonight in a few different ways. Number one, the context behind what happened. Number two, Jesus' reaction to that. And number three, our response. Those three things I think are going to, I'm hoping and praying that you will leave here more encouraged and changed just a little bit more about what Jesus can do for us because we know that he's still the same God. He still does the same miracles. And he came for you and he came for me. Amen? So at the beginning, as we start, I'm going to skip through a few of these passages. The words are going to be on the screen, but I'm going to invite you to stand for the initial reading of the word. And I want to start in verses 1 through 7. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Let's skip over to verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. And now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so you may believe. But let's go to him. Let's move to 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. 
Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She's being very theological here. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here, and he's calling for you. And now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, in verse 32, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped within a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Amen. That's what happened. We're going to break it down into three sections. And before we do, I just want to say a quick prayer while you're standing. Lord, there's a context here that maybe we didn't apply personally. There's a context here in which there are different characters. There were people that were very close to you, the disciples. There were people that wanted Jesus dead, the Pharisees. There was a good friend, Lazarus, sick and dying Lord, it's difficult when we, in similar situations, feel like maybe the world is against us. What am I doing wrong? Why are these things happening? That we doubt and try and figure you out. It's my prayer tonight that your word infiltrates our hearts, 
that we can rest in you because that's your desire. You even said, who is worn out? Who is weary? Let him come to me and I will give him rest. Come to me and you will find rest for your souls. Lord, tonight I pray for rest. I pray that we can trust you in the difficulty and I pray that when, as we unpack the scripture, only what you want us to receive is what is received and we leave here challenged and encouraged. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. First of all, the context that this happens is these two sisters, Mary and Martha, made a very bold request of Jesus. Jesus was wanted. He basically had a bounty on his head. He was not welcome in Bethany. If he was going to go back there, he could be arrested. They knew that. But they also knew that he loved Lazarus. And he loved them. So he sent a message. They sent a message knowing that they were dealing with who, we, who they were dealing with, saying that we are dealing with the Christ. We believe Jesus has the answer. They honestly prayed, but what is the context? There was a, a passage in the 23rd Psalm in verse 4 that David wrote, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The context around this is the shadow of death, the first point. When you're in a shadow of death, maybe someone in your family has just been diagnosed with cancer. Maybe you've been dealing with Alzheimer's for many, many years. We all have ailing parents, grandparents, people that we love. Maybe someone instantly died. We've all had experiences like that, but when those experiences happen, they are very real and they cast a shadow on every area of your life so that all you can think about is that thing. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a physical death. It could be the death of a relationship. It could be you laid off from your job. So maybe this could be the death of my finances. It's an overwhelming umbrella of a shadow that says there is no hope. What do we do? Mary and Martha had been following Jesus for quite some time now. Disciples are with Jesus, and they'd all seen his activities. But what's amazing about all of these miracles is none of them were done the exact same way. What we tend to do in our own minds, and we talked about this last week, is put God in a box that we understand. So we try and understand, and we have to have the answers, and if we think we get the answers to why things are happening the way they happen, then I'll be able to lift the shadow and move on with my life. But in reality, what did they do? They went straight to Jesus and said, we don't know what to do. We prayed honestly. You remember in the first miracle when Jesus changed the water to wine, he goes to his mom. He tells her what to do. She goes to everyone else, and she says, fill the pots. Do whatever he says. In the other miracles, do what he says. And when they did what he says, they participated in the miracle, the miracle happened, right? So their history is do what he says, but it's still Mary and Martha are talking behind, trying to figure out, well, can you, can you see it now? 
They're talking. He's not getting better. Jesus is a day or so away. Travel. We're not talking about a head cold. We're talking about stage four cancer probably. There's something major wrong with Lazarus. They don't know what to do. They send the messenger and now they're talking about how Jesus is going to fix it. Every moment that goes by, they're wondering, what do I do next? Because I've done all that I know that I can do. Right? I have a conversation with myself, then I have a conversation with Mary, because she's my sister and she cares about me and loves me. So what, is, what do we say to each other? Jesus is probably, hey, he doesn't even have to come back. You remember that guy that went and found Jesus on the road, the official? He met him, talked to him, told him to go home based on his faith, and his son was healed the second he talked to him. Maybe that's what he's going to do. Four days, and Lazarus has died. He's dead and goes on for four days. That's not an easy thing to swallow. He didn't answer my prayer. Why didn't you come? You should have come. David learned. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what did he say? I will fear no evil, for thy rod and thy staff are with me. You will comfort me. Jesus was trying to tell and teach his disciples and Mary and Martha the exact same thing that David understood years before. That God is sovereign. The first thing we need to know is that we don't have to know anything. We don't have to have it, but in the shadow of death, we have to have trust. We have to be able to look to Jesus as he handles this situation, which brings us to that point. What is Jesus' response? I would say, first of all, he's with his disciples a day's journey away. He hears the news and he responds, teaching three things. Number one, I'm in control. He says, I'm sovereign. I've got this. He has a purpose. So there's two points. He has a purpose in the shadows, but he's also got a purpose in his timing, right? It's not just a purpose about what's going to happen, but it's how and when it's going to happen. But when Jesus heard in verse 4, he said, this illness doesn't lead to death. It's for God's glory so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. This thing that happened, this thing was affecting Mary and Martha, had a purpose. You remember the man born blind in chapter 9. Everybody argued that it was God, that he, he must have had sin in his life. Jesus said no. He didn't have sin. He said it was so that my father will be glorified. I've got a different plan. When life turns dark, there's a sudden uncommon opportunity that we have to invite God into that darkness. And I feel that the older I get, the quicker I am at doing just that. I don't want to wait to invite God into the darkness. I want him in at the beginning of the process. We need comfort. Not comfort necessarily like Job's friends. 
must have done something wrong. Jesus handles this with kid gloves on their terms. He sees what they need and he meets them where they are. There's a problem. When the Lord knows you are sick, and he says there's a problem here, when we trust him and we say there's an opportunity for you to come in, we can begin to see what's happening differently as we relinquish control of the situation. We can begin to allow the situation to just go. If it happens, it happens. Especially as believers. As believers, I know that ultimately we're all going to be healed and we're going to be in heaven forever, right? I'm going to see Lazarus one day and go, aren't you mad that they brought you back from death? (laughs) Because this place is awesome. We spend so much time as believers trying to hang on to saints rather than reaching sinners. And I think we ought to celebrate more of our saint life the way Jesus did. It wasn't his timing for that to happen. And he had a purpose. And what was that purpose, he said? To glorify God. When you're in the shadow, it's painful and confusing. It's not easy to think that God's got, this can't glorify God. But when he's in control and we know it, we recognize that he has a purpose. My tendency, to get bitter and angry and say, God, why is this happening? What am I doing wrong? That's just me. Many of us react differently. But he has a purpose. He has a purpose for the delays also. A purpose for the shadow and the delay. In verse 5 through 7, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So, when he hears, he decides he's going to hang out. When I hear something goes bad, if somebody gets in an accident, eh, I love them so much, so I think I'm just going to sit here and hang out. Dylan can figure it out after he got in that car accident. Heck no, as a dad, I'm going to drop everything that I got and I'm going to go straight to that car accident, right? It doesn't even make sense that Jesus would stay put in that moment, does it? Why did he wait two days? Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, but when he heard, he stayed. I imagine that there were moments after Mary and Martha sent the messengers where they knew his life is slipping away. We're not going to have much of a shot at this if he doesn't come soon. They're, They're telling each other that. How often do we tell each other a solution and go, that makes sense, and then you tell each other, and yeah, this is what we're going to say to Jesus when he gets here. We're in cahoots, if you will. Maybe if we had a formula, the guy got healed on the road, Jesus is going to do that again, and then at the end, now we have a formula. I believe that Jesus did things totally differently, so God had to be glorified in every time, in every way, so that we wouldn't have a formula. Because with a formula, and I'll give you an example of a formula, James says, That you're supposed to, when you get sick and you want to get better, go to the elders of the church and get oil and have them pray over you. Write the prayers of a righteous man avail much, right? And you can be healed. 
my uncle, who was in all, he was a nuclear physicist. My brain can't work that way. I am barely nuclear. <laughs> nuclear physicist, had degrees in theology. He was extremely intelligent, and he gets brain cancer. And I recall just a couple of months before he passed, having a conversation with him about how he did all the things the Bible said that he was supposed to do about bring, going to the elders and having oil laid on. Why am I not healed? I followed the formula. God doesn't guarantee that you're going to be healed that way because of a formula that you follow. He promises that he'll be glorified in your life when you trust him. And 100% of us are not going to be here one day. Every human that's ever been born has an end date. There is a time for all of us. And when we can sit on that and go, maybe that was his time. How about when a baby dies? It's so painful. What if you lost a child? How about they get to go straight into his presence and not have to deal with any of the pain that we have to? There are things in this life that look unfair down here that are totally fair up there that won't make sense to us down here and that without any formula at all, he can make sense to your heart and give you peace that passes all understanding in spite of it. Because he's loving and caring and he designed us. And we live in a sinful, broken, fallen world that's not perfect. And murder happens. Why did that happen? Because we live in a sinful, broken, and fallen world. And Jesus wants to glorify himself in you so that we can worship with him for eternity. And when we're there, it's going to seem like all of this is what? A shadow. It's all going to be gone. We don't have to worry about our formula. The second thing I want you to realize about his reaction, he cares, he's sympathetic. Mary and Martha respond to Jesus. Separate, individual, personal conversations take place. Mary, Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. There's a lot in that statement, isn't there? It's loaded. Disappointment, confusion, accusation. We say rough things when we feel rough feelings, don't we? That's okay. They said it to Jesus, and he didn't respond any way except love. He responds to Mary with tears. In verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Greatly troubled and deeply moved means, deeply moved in spirit, means he was furious and outraged because the creator of the universe is now dealing with death and pain and agony. In flesh, the Son of God and the Son of Man has compassion. 
on you and I and Mary. In verse 34 and 35, he says, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Mark Buchanan, an author, said this. That one line, Jesus wept, is the shortest in the Bible. Jesus weeps at the tomb of Lazarus, his friend, the one he loves. Never has so much theology been so cleanly distilled as here. The fullness of the incarnation, Christ coming among us to be with us, to be one with us, is gathered up and pressed into a single subject and a verb. Here is love, mercy, passion, compassion, grief, and anger over our condition, our frailty, our vulnerability, chiseled down to two words. Jesus wept. When the shadow of life, death, falls over your life, don't forget that you have a God that weeps with you. How do you respond to Martha? Truth. Verses 23 through 26 say, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Getting all theological. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Not really. Maybe. Tim Keller calls this the ministry of tears and the ministry of truth. You know why it's important to see both of these? When the shadows fall on someone, sometimes they need to be cried with. They're not ready for truth. And then other times, truth is the exact thing, thing that they need. With the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, Jesus can give you that same compassion and wisdom to know how to respond when others need tears or truth. Here's the most awesome thing. Jesus cared so much about these women that he gave both of them exactly what they needed at that moment because he conquers. He's supreme. He says, Jesus says, roll away the stone. Lord, in the King James, he this time, by this time, he stinketh. <laughs> Don't you love it when people talk in the King James? Verse 43 through 44 says, When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who died came out, and his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. We begin to understand now that these people must have been feeling shock, disbelief. They cannot understand what's happening. They knew that he could bring him back to life, but that didn't even cross their mind that that was going to happen. I'm, I'm picturing that Jesus and Lazarus embraced. They all embraced. They had a great time, and they weren't thinking about the people that wanted Jesus dead. What does this mean for you and I? That all the shadows that we face begin to look different when there's a different hope. Hope in Jesus is not the same as hope in living in this world. Hope in Jesus is not the same as going through this life. This life can just be a shadow. Through Christ, death doesn't have the last word, does it? Jesus wins. Death loses. 
Satan loses, and when we're connected to Jesus, we have already won, and we can have abundant life. I want to make sure you hear this invitation today to lean on somebody who's in control, who's in, who cares, who conquers in your life. And if your friend isn't that person, the God of the universe is. He is always there. You are never alone. And he does conquer the grave. And nothing can separate you from his love. Amen? What kept coming up in this chapter? Finally, the ultimate question. So they took away the stone in verse 41 to 42. And Jesus lifts up his eyes. And he says, Father, I thank you. You've heard me. I knew you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing, that they may believe that you sent me, that they believe. When he's talking to Martha, he says in verse 25 and 26, whoever believes in me, though I die, yet shall he live. I am the resurrection and the life. At the end of the day, the most important question you're going to ever answer is, do you believe? How I believe reflects how I live. It should, shouldn't it? If I say I believe this way, then I should live this way. But when the wheels fall off, I show what I'm really made of. I want to encourage you that every single day, when you ask yourself, what do I believe, you can answer that very question. When you have your quiet time with the Lord and you say, I believe you, I'm going to get up here today with the power of Jesus Christ, not the power of David Tippins. So I'm going to invite the band to come. In just a moment, we're going to distribute the elements. We're going to have communion together. At the very end of the service, we're going to celebrate just a fellowship. Krista made a bunch of um, because we're Baptists, I guess you're supposed to eat a lot of sugar, right? <laughs> so we have Lighthouse Bakery cupcakes, and we're going to do that at the end just for fellowship. I want to invite everybody to stay and meet. But right now, in the upper room, right before Jesus gave his life, he's talking to those who are closest to him. Those who experienced these miracles. And he was saying, even to Judas, to do this in remembrance of me, right? He was telling them that this is my body and this is my blood that's shed and broken for you. In our lives, if he hasn't shed, if, you, if there's no tangible receipt of that shed blood and that that broken body for me what do I have to live for and believe in I, I gotta make X amount of money to be happy if I don't there's gonna be a shadow I have to have a good marriage and if it's not working out and I can't make it work out there's a shadow my, my son is not making good life decisions and I'm a great dad. Why is he not listening to me? There's a shadow. There are shadows 
that may be lingering over your life that I want to get rid of, that I want you to be able to get rid of and let go of and give it to him. We're going to take a moment and we're going to we're going to distribute the elements at this time right now. And while they are distributing, they're going to get them. I want to invite you to stand and I want to invite you to worship and I want to invite you to pray. And I want to invite you most of all to ask yourself, what do I believe? And if there's a shadow, do I need to get rid of that shadow? I'm going to stand right here for a few moments and I'll be here if you need prayer for anything. I'll be down front. The altar's open. You can pray where you are. I want us to worship and pray. Shadow, am I yours, Lord? Am I yours? Lord, I believe that there are some shadows here that you want to get rid of. You tell us again to come unto you all who are weary and heavy laden. And to us, Lord, death, it feels like everything. And we do all we can to protect certain things. It's our kids, our finances, our retirement. And we know that no political system, no economy, nothing down here invented by man has power over anything outside the Holy Spirit of a living God. Lord, it's my prayer right now that you would relieve us, that you would show us, and that you would guide us in the way everlasting towards Jesus, that we would depend on you and we would believe in you. Hear our prayers at these moments. In Jesus' name.